Welcome to another inspirational message from Dave Coop, Senior Pastor of Coastal Church in Vancouver, Canada. Well, if you've been here for the last number of weeks over the summer, caught any of the summer weekends, then you know that we're in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. We're talking about the Sermon on the Mount. It is, in my opinion, the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher, and that is our Lord Jesus Christ. So, We're going to go into that this morning, unpack a little bit more of it. We started off the very first weekend in July. Our friend Carl Gustav Severin from Sweden was with us, and he started at the very end of the sermon. And so he went to chapter 7 at the end, and he was talking about building a solid foundation. Because here the Lord said, if you hear the words of this message, you're going to build your house on a rock. You have storms in your life, I have storms in my life. He said, by building your house on these sayings, doing them, not just hearing them, but doing them, then when the storms come, it'll blow through, blow past, but your house is standing. If you don't hear the words and just do what you want to do with your life, you're going to have a sandy foundation and your house is going to crumble under the storm. Now, none of us want that to happen, so today we're going to again look through how we can apply this Sermon on the Mount to our lives. We talked about the Beatitudes. We went through that. Blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn. And if you say, well, I'm not sure what those mean, and just kind of, it's kind of fuzzy to me. We had some amazing teachers that weekend. Go back, listen on the podcast, pick it up there. By the way, I heard this week, somebody told me that when you go to iTunes and you find what's hot under religion, Coastal Church, you were under what's hot in religions this week. So you can go there and check that out. So that, I thought that was cool. Podcast. So we can go back and we listen on podcasts. Thank God for that technology. We talked about you've heard it said. Jesus said, you've heard it said, but I say to you. What they were doing that day, they were taking a lot of the commandments, God's sayings, adding to it, twisting it, misinterpreting it. And he went back, got to the heart of it. And really, in this New Testament, or in the era that we live in now, under God's grace, he was introducing the law of love. So he said, you've heard it said, but I say to you. We talked about let your yes be yes and you no, no. They were swearing under everything. And he said, you know, it's so much simpler in life. Just keep your word. Be honest. Be integrous. That's how you build your life and have a solid foundation. Then we had a Sunday where we said, you are the salt and you are the light. And we made it applicable to us. And we said, Coastal Church, you're the salt. You're the light. If you're waiting for another generation to do it, or if you're waiting for somebody else to show up and do it, God says, no, you're the salt. You're the light. He's saying, Coastal Church, hey, Coastal Church, (laughs) you're the salt. You're the light. You know, I think as Canadians, we really need to be the salt and the light. We need to, church, arise and be the salt and the light. Uh, The school that I graduated from, the Bakke Graduate School, one of the... uh, fellows that was in the class, and actually a couple from this church, it's the, the Redeemer uh, Church of Christ in Africa, I think that's the name of it, and uh, they are sending to the United States, a church in Africa out of Nigeria, they're sending to the United States some um, church planters, they're planting 1,200 churches in the next six months in the United States, and they have a camp meeting, an annual camp meeting in uh, Nigeria, just north of Lagos, and you know how many people come to their annual camp meeting? Five hundred, no, five million people show up for their for their camp meeting. They have churches in over a hundred nations of the world, and they're just saying, you know, we used to always send missionaries to Africa. Africa is now sending missionaries to our continent, 
And, and they're, they're just saying, we're here, and uh, we are. They've paid a price for their faith, and they just are sold out. And we see people coming from Korea. We see people coming from different parts of the world, and they're saying, we'll be salt, we'll be light. And uh, we welcome that, but at the same time, let us be salt and light. Amen? Let, let's reflect our Lord in our community. If you look at Christ, you'll reflect him. When the moon is in view of the sun, it reflects the sun. And when we focus on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, we reflect him to the world around us. We're salt. And if you were here when we talked about salt, remember we said, you don't put the whole salt shaker on your plate. You add a little bit of salt. And, you know, it just takes a little bit of salt in your community to add the flavor. So we, we shared some of those things. We talked about going the second mile, turning your cheek. And we had a lot of feedback on turn the other cheek last week. So if you missed that message, you can find it on the podcast. Turn the other cheek. What does that really mean, loving and praying for enemies? Today, three things we're going to go through that the Lord just assumes we do. He said, and when you give, and when you pray, and when you fast. He doesn't say, if you happen to pray, here's how you should do it. Or if you happen to give, here's how you should do it. Or if by some remote chance you happen to fast, here's some instruction on it. He just says, and when you do it. So he's, he's assuming that you and I pray, that you and I give, that you and I fast. He's just assuming this is what we do when we're living in the kingdom. Remember, the Sermon on the Mount was spoken to his disciples. And of course, others were listening, but really it was for kingdom living. It wasn't for how a country should run. It wasn't for the government. It wasn't for the, for the police force. It wasn't for the university. It was for us. This is how we should live. When you pray, when you give, when you fast, here's how you should do it. This is the, your outline to do it. And really, it's about the heart. Just like the other chapter was about the heart, this too is about what's in your heart. God's more interested in what's going on in your heart than what we see maybe on the outside. So again... He's getting into the heart of the issue. Chuck Swindle tells a story in his book, Growing Deeper in the Christian Life, about this fellow. He goes to the drive-thru and he picks up some chicken for him and his girlfriend. And they're going to go to the park and have a little picnic. And so they head out to the park and they sit down and they open up their bag that they ordered the chicken in. And when they open up the bag, there's no chicken. Instead of the bag, is a whole bunch of money. Oh, that's really strange. So he does the right thing. He drives back to the chicken place, and he asks for the manager. The manager comes out and says, yes, can I help you? And he said, well, I ordered this uh, chicken for me and my girlfriend for a little picnic, and, and I don't know what you're doing here, but I got a lot of money in this bag instead of chicken, and I thought I better return it to you. And the guy says, oh, man, you, you won't believe how glad I am you brought that back. You know what happened? I had, uh, I had put it in the bag there so nobody knows I'm going to the bank with money, and I stepped away for half a second, and when I put it down, that person mistakenly gave you that bag of money instead of the bag of chicken. I said, I'm so grateful. Thank you. You, you. People like you are so rare in the world today. This is such a great thing you've done. Your, your integrity speaks so loud. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Matter of fact, I am going to call the newspaper right now. We need to get a picture of this in the paper. Let people know there's still some people like you around today. They said, no, 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 don't call the paper. Please don't call the paper. And the guy says, well, why not? And so he whispers into his ear, this girlfriend is somebody else's wife. Please don't call a paper. <laughs> and Chuck Swindle said, sometimes it's easier to find lost money than it is to find somebody with a pure heart. God was a lot more interested in the pure heart than the way people were praying and 
the, uh, just their prayer life, their giving, and their, and their fasting. He was after the heart, the motive. Why were you doing it? Uh, pure motives will give, uh, will yield God's rewards. So we're in Matthew chapter 6, and when you give, let's uh, read this. It's there in your notes, or you can follow along in your Bibles, Matthew 6, 1 to 4. Take heed, or be careful, that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, or when you give, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites. Now, this word hypocrite is going to come three times. When you give, when you pray, when you fast. He says, don't be like the hypocrites. The, the word there in the Greek is don't be an actor. These are people that put on a mask. They put on a front. They, they put on a good show for everybody, for them to see. But when they leave, that's not really who they are. Actors will act in a drama or a, or a movie but that's not really who they are. When they go home, they're somebody else. These are people who put on a show like they're spiritual, but when they're not in front of people, they live a different way. How many of the world's really tired of those kind of Christians? So he's looking for authentic uh, Christians, not just silver-plated, but we're silver through and through. He says, don't be like that. He says, if you're giving, don't give to be recognized by men. Now, it's not wrong if people notice you're giving. That it's not wrong because sometimes people will notice. But if that's your motivation to be known, to have your name in the paper or to be, have somebody applaud you, if that's why you're giving, well, that's your reward. That's all you're going to get was that little accolade and it lasted for about a minute or two, your little moment of fame, but that's it. Sometimes when somebody will give to a charity or a foundation gives, they, they take a picture of them and they make a check like, you know, six feet long by three feet deep and they hold it up and we gave $3,000 and everybody has their picture. And if you gave for that reason, your little moment of fame in the spotlight, that's all your reward. But if you give with a heart for the Lord, for his work and say, God, I want to do this as unto you, then he rewards you openly in amazing ways that you can never comprehend. So he says, be careful in your heart how you give. He says, I assure you, they have the reward. Sometimes people give, too, uh, for their tax receipt. Australia, you don't get that deal. Sometimes I wish in Canada they'd take it away. It's not even a part of the equation. That went over really good. If we're giving, seriously, folks, if we're giving because we want, man, I want my tax receipt. Well, guess what your reward is? Tax receipt. That's it. Your 30% deduction at the end of the year, when you do your tax return, that's all you get from the Father. I don't know in your heart what you did. We should take it. It's good steward to take it. But don't let that be your motivation. We're working with Bill Strickland to build this Vancouver Center of Arts and Technology, and the stage we're in this feasibility study, we can't offer right now a tax receipt. And when we did a fundraising event for our community a couple months ago, we said to them, we can't offer you a tax receipt. You know, some people said, well, I'm not going to give unless I get a tax receipt. Well, you know where their heart's at. 
But if your heart said, I want to help the poor in our community, I am tired of people not having the advantage here, and we want those children to have the same privilege as somebody else, have good schooling, have good education, good arts, good... We want to give them a hand up, and it's not about my tax receipt. I want to help them. Those are the people who stood up and said, man, I'm giving into it. I don't need a tax receipt. So, man, I'd like to be part of that. Well, you can go to VancouverCat.org, give online if you'd like to do that. You can still, you can still be part of that. Amen. And we're, we're believing to do that. We believe we get to start the feasibility study in September. We have a ways to go yet to do that. But the website is up and running, and you could be a part of that, making a difference in our community. We have to love people in our city and around the world and our giving is a reflection of it. And when we give, our, our heart to give is because we have the Father's heart. He gave. He loved the world, so he gave. We love the world, so we give. He said, be careful about your attitude, why you give, what's in your heart when you give. Then secondly, he said, and when you pray. Now, he's, again, assuming we pray. It's not, hey, if you happen to pray, if you feel moved to pray, here's how you should pray. No, no, it's when you pray. He's assuming that we pray. And uh, so here's how, again, it's about your heart. What's coming out of your heart when you pray? To me, you may have a different analogy, but to me, prayer reminds me of getting our combine ready and having to grease it before it went out into the field. About this time of year, my dad would pull the combine up in front of the shop, and we would get the combine ready to go into the harvest field. The wheat was growing, barley was growing, Oats was growing, all the crops were growing, and he'd hand us the grease gun. He'd say, okay, son, I want you to go in to grease the combine. Now, greasing the combine was a long, tedious job, at least for as a, as a kid it was. It probably is not that bad now, but when you're a kid, it, it seems like a big deal when you want to go play. And he'd hand me this grease gun, and sometimes you had to go to a manual to find all the grease ergs. They were hidden everywhere. There was a little grease nipple, and you had this grease gun, and you put the hose on the end of it, and you had to give it like three or four shots of grease, and all the bearings had to be greased, all the rollers had to be greased, and you had to crawl inside this machinery and find it. And as a kid, if you didn't get that hose just right on the grease erg, the grease would squirt out the side, and it wouldn't go in the bearing. Well, Dad's not around. He's somewhere else. I was just, okay, didn't quite get it in there. Just pull it off, go to the next one. That one's too hard. And then, Dad would get the combine out in the field. And it wasn't long, and all of a sudden, it's annoying, isn't it? It started to squeak. It got annoying. And Dad would come home and say, David, did you, uh, you, you grease that combine, right? Yeah. Well, how come this is squeaking here? Did you get it on right? Did you do that right? Oh, you, um. And then he'd, he'd remind me that every greaser has to be greased. Every chain has to be oiled. Because if you don't, it's going to bind, it's going to grind, it's going to wear out, or it's going to seize up. And it's finished. It's very expensive. So everything has to be greased every day, beginning of the day, we grease it. We're in the harvest field, it has to be greased. Everything, first day, first thing in the morning, grease all the machinery. Your prayer life is like that. When we pray, we talk about the anointing or to anoint. Prayer brings an anointing. Anoint means to rub oil into something, to rub, if you like, grease into something. Your life needs oil rubbed into it every day. Your prayer rubs the oil into your life. Your marriage, your relationship needs oil, grease rubbed into it. 
Your business needs it rubbed into it. Your neighbors need it rubbed into it. Every day, you rub the oil, you rub the grease into that. What does it do? It causes things to run smoothly. If you Now, with the combine or a piece of machinery, your car, you can get sloppy on it and get away with it for a while. You can go a week or two without praying, and guess what? You'll function pretty good. But all of a sudden, things start to bind, things start to squeak, things start to seize up. They're not running smoothly anymore. Relationship starts to go sideways. Customers start to fall off. Employees start to act up. Why? Because there's no grease rubbed into it, no oil rubbed into it. Oil, prayer is like oil. It's a lubricant that keeps things running smoothly daily in your life. I didn't always feel like greasing the combine, but it prevented things from falling apart. Prayer prevents your life from falling apart. Daily prayer. The Lord goes on to teach us here, give us this day our daily bread. He's assuming we pray daily. Daily need to do it for your machinery. Prayer is like, it's like oxygen. You need it. There has to be a rhythm of daily prayer to keep things running smoothly in your life. I went to a men's event a couple years ago, and they took this car put it up on blocks, drained all the oil out of the motor, and then they took a brick and put it on the accelerator, started that thing up, and they got this car running redlined, tires spinning, and just flat out. And then every, all the guys, uh, we, this is their money raiser, put some money in, and they guessed how long the motor would last before it seize up. And you know what? It ran for quite a while. I thought, well, within half an hour, things going to seize up. But I think it went for a couple hours, and then all of a sudden, just seized right up. And you can probably go flat out in your company, in your business, in your relationship for a while, but then all of a sudden, it's just too much heat, too much friction, and too much corrosion, and that life just seizes up. And when you seize up, very expensive, replace the motor. When a marriage seizes up, Divorce is very expensive. When a child, no prayer for the kids, you stop praying for them. You know, you could do it on the front, your, your work on the front end or the back end. It's much easier to be praying and speaking and bringing your family to church on the front end than trying to get them off the streets at the other side of it and get them off drugs. Easier on the front end to oil, to grease on a regular basis. Sometimes we're intimidated to pray. Well, I, I don't know how to pray. I came to church and I heard them pray and go, oh, I can't pray like that. I remember the first time I went to a church where they raised their hands. And I was... The church I grew up in, we didn't raise our hands. And so it was very new to me. And I, I went to a church and I saw them raising their hands. And I went, hmm, is that for real? And I found it was for real. They were really sincere. And so one day I got really brave. I thought I would try raising my hands in church too. The Bible says to lift up holy hands. It's an expression of worship. It's body language, if you like. It's... It's the way we tell God we're in love with Him. We, we raise our hands when we're excited and passionate about hockey or football or whatever else, a concert. We have no trouble with it. So the same thing with God. It's universal. It's a sign that you're, you're passionate about it. And I was passionate about God. So one day I, I tried, and I, I went half-mast. <laughs> Just like this. I, I was really hoping nobody was looking. And the reason I didn't put it higher, I thought everybody was going to be looking at me and thinking about me when really... I was thinking they were thinking about me, but nobody was thinking about me. We, we, we waste a lot of time thinking people think about us, but they're really not thinking about us as much as we think they're thinking about us. 
<laughs> so one day, I got really brave. And I, I put both hands in the air, right up there. I thought, and then I looked around, I thought, oh, who's watching me? Guess what? Nobody was watching me. They're all worshiping God. But it took me a while to, to learn to be expressive. It took me a while to learn how to pray. And, but the whole thing, God was just interested in my heart. It wasn't about the mechanics as much as what was in my heart. You could be at church this morning. It's like, boy, I'm not sure I know how to pray. At Alpha, Nikki Gumbel, who gives a talk, teaches us, don't pray your biggest, longest, fanciest prayer when you come to Alpha. Do that at home. But when you come to Alpha, just pray simple so others can feel how to pray. You may have come to church and say, man, I don't know how to pray. You're not alone. Here's a little clip of a fellow. He found it awkward at church when he was asked to pray. This might help some of us this morning. I remember going to church as an adult, right, for the first time when I started going to church. And I would walk in, and the pastor was like, he said, I want you to pray with your neighbor. And I'm like, well, my neighbor don't go to this church. I don't know if you need you want me to call my neighbor on the phone? That's creepy. I ain't going to do that. Right? Then they explained to me, right, your neighbor is a person sitting next to you. Listen, I'm brand new at this Christian stuff. I don't, not, I didn't even know you're supposed to pray out loud, let alone with this lady. I don't even know this lady. What am I supposed to pray about? Lord, help these bumps go down on this lady's face. I don't know what to, what to pray about. I don't know what I'm supposed to pray about, right? She went first. She was praying all good, and she must have been John the Baptist's little sister or something. <laughs> she was like, Dear Heavenly Father, you said in your word in the sixth chapter, the third, third verse of the book of Matthew, the 601st word on page 1248. <laughs> Lord, you said, But seek. S is in search. E is in everywhere. E is in excellent. K is in kingdom. You're the Alpha Nisi, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Rapha. I'm thinking, man, she even know his nicknames. <laughs> now, it's my turn to pray, right? But I don't got the spiritual vocabulary to just, but I'm not going to let her out pray me. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, God, first of all, you are good people. You know, you are good, Lord. You are good. You were good to the last drop, Lord. Because, um, Lord, I, I just got to obey my thirst, Lord. You know, because choosing moms choose Jesus. So, Lord, because, you know, as the, rec as the rocket's red glare, Lord, it gave proof to the night, Lord. I believe I can fly, amen. There you go. That'll encourage somebody this morning if you feel like you don't know how to pray. God's more interested in our heart than in our fancy vocabulary or how often we repeat something. And uh, he went on to say here in Matthew 6, 5 to 7, it's there in your notes. And when you pray, again, he's assuming we pray. Not if you pray, but when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. Here's the actors again. They live a different life. They pray in public, put on a good spectacle, and they sound real spiritual when they pray in public, but it's not that way when they're away from there. They love to pray, standing in the synagogues, on the street corners, that they may be seen by men. Surely I say to you, they have their reward. But you, so he's talking to you and I, hey, you guys here, that's me, that's you, but you. And just notice how many yous and yours there are in this next verse, because praying is really about you. You're, you're invited to pray. This is an invitation. In Revelations, it says, 
Jesus is talking. He says, I stand at the door and knock. If anybody hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and dine with them. They can dine with me. Dine. That's Starbucks. That's the keg. That's uh, Tim Hortons. That's Think Dining. He's, what, what do we do there? If somebody says, hey, you want to go to lunch with me? You're, you're thinking hanging out. You're thinking relationship. You're thinking, this is cool. And Jesus stands at the door and says, do you want to have a relationship with me? I'd like to spend time with you. See, that always blows my mind. And still to this day, there are days where I think, and I work through this still, God, do you really want to spend time with me? Like, are you sure you probably don't want to spend time with some of these others? That Are you sure you want to spend time with me? Totally transparent this morning here before you. There's still times I'll, I'll think that. But, but that's not the truth. God's pretty big. God is omnipotent. And he is all powerful. He's, he is really interested in our lives. And no matter who we are, never buy into that lie. I've struggled with it. I think, oh, no, God, you, there's so much else going on. Would you really want to spend time with me, David Coop? Absolutely. He does. He's interested. Come, spend time. Come, dine with me. But it's my choice. I have to say, Lord, I want to do that. He says, if you hear my voice and open the door, I'm not, I'm not going to barge my way in and drag you over for coffee and say, okay, you're coming. We're sitting down and we're having a meeting. That's not God. This is our Father saying, I want to spend time with you. Wow. So come, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. He says, but you, when you pray, so we have a choice to make here, but you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Folks, listen carefully. You cannot spend a little bit of quality time with the Father in a secret place that he does not reward you and add oil to the greasy, to the, to the, I shouldn't say greasy, but to the squeaky places of your life that need some smoothing out. Something happens when we're in prayer to the rest of our lives. He rewards us openly. Now he says, go to your room, go to your secret place. I'm not sure where your secret place is. Maybe it's your car. I like praying in the car. I find it very... Refreshing, less distractions. You can't talk on your cell phone now, anyhow. And there's, you can turn off the radio. And, and sometimes there's a few distractions. Got to be careful about that. Don't pray with your eyes closed. It works better to keep your eyes open when you drive. So you got to you got to work with that. But you can have a great conversation with God in your car. You can. Some days I'll even go to a restaurant and I'll sit down, me and the Lord, and I'll just order a coffee. I'll put up my Bible. I'll do some journaling, and I just have a time alone with the Lord at a restaurant. Now, please understand, I'm not praying out loud, raising my hands. I'm not freaking out the people around me, but it's, it's just me having quiet time there. I also have some places I go to that are totally alone, totally quiet. Uh, it could be a park, it could be a garden, or it could be literally your closet where you go in, close the door, you in your suit, in your shirt, in your shoes, and you have, you have a time with God. It's what works for you. Again, it's a heart issue. Get away, spend that quality time with him. It's not about bringing attention to yourself. It's you and the Father in this relationship. He goes on to say, when you pray, don't use vain repetitions as the heathen do. They think they're heard for their many words. 
So we're not heard by God because we can quote a bunch of verses even or say a bunch of sayings and have all the right vocabulary. It's, again, more related to our heart. He goes on to give us a pattern of prayer or, like he says, a manner of prayer. And he says in chapter 9, verse 13, pray this way. Now, you could memorize what's called the Lord's Prayer. And really, it's not the Lord's Prayer. It's our prayer. It's a model prayer for us. The Lord's Prayer is found in John 17 when he prayed for us. This is a a prayer that we are encouraged to pray as a pattern of prayer. Because you can memorize the Lord's Prayer, and it can just be vain repetitions for you. You could memorize it and, and pray it four times in a row. My Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it heaven. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And you, I mean, you just roll that thing off, and, and your mind's saying it, but your heart's 100 miles away. That's vain repetition. So this is meant not to be just something we recite because we know it by memory. It's a pattern of prayer for us to follow. The disciples have said another point, Lord teaches how to pray, and he gave them this model, this template, if you like, for prayer. First of all, it says, Our Father in heaven. Note it says, Our Father. So that's amazing that we get to call him Father. If he's our Father, that makes me his son, that makes you his son, that makes you his daughter, that means you're related, that means you're in the family. How many of you are in the family, you get different privileges? If you're in the family, you have an inheritance. If you're in the family, you get to go to different events. Folks, you're in the family. How cool is that? You get to call him. We get to call him Father. There's a lady who wrote a book, I Dare to Call Him Father. She lived in Pakistan. And the persecution she went through because she says, I dare to call him Father. Not just God, but Father. He's our Father. Say, what's God like? He's like a perfect daddy. You can imagine what a, how a good dad would respond to something. That's how your father responds. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. Look how I treat people. Look how I do things. That's how the father does it. So we get to say, our father, which art in heaven. Then it says, hallowed be your name. So it begins by an address of honor and respect. The Bible says to come into his presence with thanksgiving. When we start our prayers... It's best to start praying by saying, God, I worship you. I honor you. I respect you. Father in heaven, I hallow your name. Now, you don't have to say hallow your name. I don't use that word hallow very much in my regular vocabulary. So you may just want to say, God, you could say, God, you're amazing. God, you're cool. God, you're far out. You heard the guy praying that little clip, right? I mean, it, wasn't, it didn't sound so spiritual. It's just sincere. God's looking more for authenticity than he is for religiosity. We don't need any more silver-plated Christians. We need this silver through and through. So we're authentic. We come before, Lord, I worship you. So we start with that. We pray for his purpose. Your kingdom come, your will be done. What's your purpose? What's your will for my life? What's your will for my day? We pray for his provision. Give us this day our daily bread. He's, he wants to provide for us. He said, well, God, doesn't God know what I need? Why doesn't he just give it? Why do I have to ask him? Why? Because it's relationship. This is about a relationship. He is waiting for an invitation from us to be involved in our daily affairs. He doesn't barge in. He waits for an invitation. And when we invite him, he's involved. So he's, he's, he's asking us to be, uh, for him to be invited. And then we pray for his pardon, forgive us, as we forgive others. 
Unforgiveness, if we don't forgive others and we're praying, it really wrecks our prayer life. Because he says, if you don't forgive others, neither can I forgive you. Mercy begets mercy. If God has been merciful to me and forgiven me, then he also would like us to forgive others around us. It's an important part of our prayer. And then we pray for his pathway, lead me not into temptation, deliver me from, ev- from the evil one. We pray for protection. We're going to talk a lot more about that in September coming up. We're going to do a whole series on traps, how our enemy traps us. You're going to want to set aside those Sundays and be here for that because every Sunday we're going to take a different trap. And they're going to show how our enemy, what his devices are. Because the Bible says, don't be ignorant of Satan's devices. So we're going to show you some of his devices, how he traps people. Now, you know, the amazing thing is the traps haven't changed through all these years. He's still using old technology. So we're going to expose his technology. Now, he repackages it, but it's old technology. So we're going to show you his old technology, how he traps people. Because guess what? The traps hurt. Traps are painful. But God comes along and he says, I will free you from the snare of the trapper. And so this is going to be a lot of freedom. A lot of our friends are going to be set free. People that have been set in traps, they're going to be set free. Our hope is in the name of the Lord. There is one name above every name, the name of Jesus. And when Jesus comes along, he lifts up, he opens up the trap, and we're no longer fooled, we're no longer deceived, and like a bird, we fly to freedom. And so we're going to talk about temptation, how to avoid the traps. God doesn't test us. I mean, God doesn't tempt us. He tests us. There's a difference between a test and a temptation. A test, we often aren't so excited about tests, but we know what they produce, strength and character. Temptation, on the other side, is this immediate desire. Oh, we're, we, our flesh desires it. Temptation will exploit your weakness, where as a test will, will take your weakness and convert it to strength. There's a big difference between a test and a temptation, and we'll talk about that as we move into it in fall. Uh, so then the last thing we do, we pray for his power as well. God doesn't lead us into temptation. He leads you through temptation or out of temptation. So we'll cover that later. And then the last one, first one was, and when you, what was the first one? When give. The second one is, and when you? And the third one is, when you fast. Now, we, we think about fasting. We think, ooh, who fasts? not just for the religious few. He, he really expects anybody living in the kingdom, his kingdom has accepted him, would fast. When you give, when you pray, when you fast. Not if you fast, but when you fast. So there will be seasons in our life. There will be times when we fast in our lives. Now, let's clarify what fasting is not. Fasting isn't a hunger strike. We say, God, if you don't move, if you don't answer my prayer, I'm not going to eat until I get an answer to this prayer. Well, you can't manipulate God. You can't, God, you're just going to be hungry a really, really long time if you do that. So it's not, it's not the best way to go about it. And it's not a weight loss program. Oh, yeah, I think I'll go on a fast and have some spiritual needs. So I just kind of melt these two together and we'll do this little. Now, you may lose some weight, but that would be a bonus. That's not why we fast. Again, it's a heart issue. I wouldn't know, but God would know where your heart's at on that. And uh, it's not fast to impress others. But what it does do is it puts us in a position, not God, we don't change God, it's us that changes. It puts us in a position where we're focusing on Him and focusing on a breakthrough that we need in our lives. When would I fast? You fast when you want an answer, a breakthrough more than you want to eat. 
more than you want your breakfast or more than you want that cup of coffee or maybe something else, more than I want to have my uh, iPod on and listening to songs all the time, I'm going to cut those things out because I want to focus in on getting a breakthrough. I desire to have my child off drugs. I desire my marriage to be healed. or I just need a, I'm tired of going this way in my business. I'm headed toward bankruptcy. I need a breakthrough, and I'm going to fast and pray and believe for a breakthrough. Now, be led by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit will lead you. Holy Spirit will guide us in prayer. Holy Spirit guides us in giving. He guides us in fasting as well. Let's read what the Lord had to say about this. Last page, Matthew 6, 16, reading on from there. Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites. Again, these are the actors with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. I sure I say to you, they have the reward. And you, you know, if you're fasting and you have this... You're talking to your friends about it, and they say, how's it going? Oh, not so good. Oh, terrible. Why is it going terrible? Oh, I'm fasting, man. I, I, you know, I've, been, I've been fasting for three weeks. Man, I've lost a lot of weight. And, oh, look. At, well, you forgot to shave this morning. I know. I was just too weak to shave. Yeah. Man, you didn't even do your hair. Yeah, I know. Didn't do my hair. And, or you didn't put on any makeup. Oh, I know. I'm fasting, man. Just, you know, it's just really tough. And, and they say, oh, you poor thing. Oh, I feel so sorry for you. That's your reward. That's it. That's all you get. No breakthrough. That little, oh, poor thing. That's it. That little stroke, it's hardly worth it. Don't do it for that. He says, so when you fast, don't put on a sour face. Put your makeup on, shave, do your hair, put some cologne on, put some perfume on. Don't let the world know. Don't go around about, oh, look at me. I'm holier than thou. I pray. I fast. No. Most people won't even know you're fasting. And if you're working, you may have to adjust your fasting in such a way that they don't know. When I'm on a fast, sometimes I'll just have a soup instead of a full meal. I'll just say, I'm not going to eat anything. I'm going to have a soup at a meal, and I'm cutting everything else out. So I'll sit down at a meal, and I'll, you know, they'll order their food, and I'll, order, and I'll say, ah, I'm having soup. And most people, oh, okay, he's not that hungry. He's having a soup. Then they order a steak. <laughs> I'm going, hmm, boy. Wow. The steak's not bad. Then they order banana cream pie for dessert, and you're going, oh, you sure you don't want any? No, no, I'm fine. But the whole idea is I don't want to draw attention to the fact that I'm fasting. And sometimes, frankly, I don't want to talk to people about it either. This is between me and the Lord. So he says, but you, when you fast, so he's talking to us, anoint your head, wash your face, so you don't appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father. God knows about it. It's a hard thing who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. When you give, when you pray, when you fast, let it be a hard thing. Now, all these things are possible because God comes and lives within us. We do this by His Spirit, not by our strength, not by our mental discipline. It's a heart issue. And the same Lord who wrote this says, I will come and live and dwell with you. If you open up your heart's door, I will come and be a part of your life. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to download free notes from this message or find out more information about Pastor Dave Coop, then we invite you to visit our website at www.coastalchurch.org.